so there was a couple of men uh, formed a story. This probably happened 25, 30 years ago. This story started. The two men were Paul Kamiges and Terry Williams. And uh, the setting, it's a short story, but the setting is basically uh, Terry saw Paul. Terry wanted to run <laughs> in a social situation. Uh, Paul was kind of a burden to be around. And I don't know exactly because... I was little. I didn't know either of those men. I wasn't self-aware at that time. But um, I don't know exactly why or how Paul was a burden to be around, but I know that Terry is not a guy who normally runs from people. And he's shared this story publicly, so he wouldn't mind me sharing it again today. Uh, but Paul was probably a self-centered person, probably socially unaware, maybe insensitive to the feelings of other people around him and how he made people feel. But I'm willing to guess that everyone here has known a person like that, that you've known a Paul, um, maybe as a Pauline, a, a lady. But um, often these types of people, they turn conversations into arguments or they turn conversations, what should be a two-way street, they turn them into one-way streets, a monologue, and it's about themselves. Um, I say that Paul Kamiges, he was a burden, at one point, he was a burden to be around, but he became a blessing to be around. And that change didn't happen overnight. It involved trusted friends telling him hard truth. It involved Paul having humility to receive that and know that they were telling him the truth in love and for his good. Uh, but the, 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 the change process produced a new character an ongoing change in Paul, and it produced friendships both with adults and with youth. Paul has left a legacy. Uh, he, he died and went to be with King Jesus, uh, as Paul liked to refer to his Lord as King Jesus. A little over two years ago, uh, Paul left us and went to be with Jesus. And his legacy, how people remember him now, and as people who met him like five years ago, like I did, his legacy is not as a burden, but as a blessing. He has a legacy of blessing people, investing in youth, mentoring and leading fatherless boys through the Youth Horizons Ranch, and just having lots of meaningful relationships with his peers. And so today we're going to talk about being a burden and being a blessing. Uh, to bless, it's kind of a churchy word, but the, the core of the word bless really means to make someone happy or to make someone successful. Uh, to be a burden, a burden is a heavy load carried with difficulty. So they're kind of two ends of the spectrum. Uh, to bless is to make someone successful. To burden is to drag someone down. Um, and God is intended for us as people to be uh, people who build others up, not wear them down and tear them down. And of course, nobody does this perfectly, whether you're a Christian or not. Nobody does this perfectly. But in this passage we're going to see again that the Christian life is not about perfection, it's about direction. So I'd encourage you to open your Bibles, uh, whether it's on an app or the hard copy to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 14 through 21. So we're going to finish 2 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, today. Uh, the, this, the words will be on the screen too for now, but not all the words will fit on the screen later. So it's nice to have a hard copy to refer back to as we're working through this. So Paul writes, 
Here for this third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent, be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and you may be found, and, and, and maybe I may be found by you to be not what you wish, that there perhaps will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. So this is one of those passages in the Bible that uh, I don't think it's totally clear when you read it at first glance. There's a lot going on, and it, it's, it's not really clear. So before we jump into the principles of being a burden and being a blessing today, uh, let's just kind of walk back through what we just read to make sure that we kind of understand and we, we have a better grasp on the scripture itself before we start unpacking it. Make sense? Okay. So, verse 14, Paul starts by saying, I'm preparing to visit you a third time, and I will not be a burden to you. So, Paul's kind of setting the stage. He's reminding us at this late point in the letter that this is not their first interaction. This is actually, he's getting ready to have a third visit. Uh, they've had a lengthy relationship. And so, uh, but he's also setting the stage for the rest of the passage that we read today when he says, I will not be a burden to you. He just clearly tells us that's his aim, to not be a burden, whether it's with this upcoming visit, the third visit, or just his relationship to the Corinthians in general. His resolution, his aim is to not be a burden, but to be a blessing. And so part of being a blessing, Paul explains in the next verse is Paul seeks them. He doesn't seek what is theirs, but he seeks them. And then he gives an example of children. Uh, they're not responsible to save up for parents, but parents are responsible to save up and spend for their children. And Paul says, I'll, I'll gladly spend for you. I'll gladly spend myself for your good and for your souls. So Paul is saying, I don't want to be a burden. I want to be a blessing. I want to give to you. I want to give you good things. I want to make you successful. And then he says, even if I love you more and you love me less, Paul says, be that as it may. It is what it is. But my resolve, my aim 
is to not be a burden to you. And then he says, I did not burden you myself in the past, and I will not burden you in the future. So then Paul kind of transitions a little bit. He shoots down a potential excuse that the Corinthians or the false teachers that have infiltrated that church might have raised. And we see this in verses 16 through 18. This, this potential excuse is that some at Corinth would say, it's true. Paul has just been a blessing to you. But remember when he sent Titus and the other guy to you? He sent them to do his dirty work for him. He kept his face clean, but Paul was being the good cop, and then he sent those guys to be the bad cops to really uh, deceive you and take advantage of you. And Paul responds in verse 17 with a sentence that in the, you, you don't see it in the English as easily, but it's, it's a sentence that has a grammatical break in sequence. It's called an anacalutha. You ever heard of an anacalutha? Yeah, me neither. But what that word anacalutha means, the etymology of the word, is not following. Ana, the, the prefix, is, is not, and then the rest of it, kalutha, that's following. So it's, it's not following. And so Paul responds to this accusation by basically, with, a, with the grammar, he's saying, I'm not following. <laughs> And then what his words actually say is, did any of those I sent, did I exploit you by him? So, so that's how it's like the, the break in the sentence. Did any of those I sent, did I exploit you? It's like, it's like if, if I were to say, I'm surprised or I can't believe it, it'd be like, I'm so, I can't believe it. That's what an anacalutha is, right? It's not a properly constructed sentence. And that's exactly what Paul does when he says, did any of those I sent, did, did I exploit you by them? So, do you, do you understand what an anacalutha is now? At least you learned something today, right? Um, and then Paul goes on to say, did they treat you poorly? Or did they treat you and walk with you just like I did? Remember how they lived, Paul says, before you believed the last thing that you heard. And so then Paul moves on, verse 19, and he, he clarifies in this verse what he's doing and what he's been doing. This is kind of him clarifying why he's defending himself, why he's defending the ministry, and he does this a lot throughout the whole course of the letter. We've seen it over and over, and I've referred to this verse because it's kind of a summary statement for the whole letter in some ways. He says, all this time, you might have been thinking that we're defending ourselves to you. It might be what it looks like you know, kind of defending ourselves. Actually, what's been happening, and, and I testified to this before God, Paul says, in the sight of God, we've been speaking in Christ. For your upbuilding, we've been speaking in Christ to you for your good. Beloved, we love you. So it's like Paul is saying, in case you think we're making this about us, puffing ourselves up, we want you to know the only reason we're saying what we're saying is for your good, for your upbuilding, because we love you. And then he goes on to say, my love, or he goes on to really show how his love makes him concerned. Concerned that this third time that I'm going to come to you, you'll have shown regression. You'll have fallen back rather than showing progression, advancing forward in your faith. And Paul says, that will personally be painful for me. 
He's going to mourn. He's going to be humiliated. And he's also, we're going to see this more next week, but he's also going to punish. Next week, in, in our passage next week, he says, I will not spare anyone. So remember Paul's example of, you know, children don't save up for their parents, but parents for their children earlier. Well, now Paul is using another very parental example where the parent has given the child multiple times. Remember, this is the third time that Paul is going to come to them. Parent, Paul, the leader, has given the child the follower multiple times to change their behavior. But because of the child's choices, it's forcing the hand of loving discipline to come down. Much to the sadness of the parent. Paul is mourning that this is what it's coming to, apparently. It's like Paul's final warning in letter format before I get there. If you don't change, you leave me no other choice but to not spare anyone. And so that's what this verse is saying. Now let's look at uh, what we can take from it in terms of he's clearly talking about not being a burden He's clearly talking about instead being a blessing. So we're going to look at four characteristics of each and we'll fly through these eight pretty quickly um, because there's eight. (laughs) But uh, we'll start with four characteristics of being a burden. And so this is what not to do. And sometimes it's helpful for me to understand what to do in light of what not to do. What something is in light of what something is not. So being a burden... Uh, and this is the opposite of Paul's example. Being a burden, the first characteristic is just be self-centered. Um, verse 19, of course, this is what Paul wasn't doing. Uh, but they might have thought that all this time, Paul and his companions were defending themselves to the Corinthians. That this, this is all about them being self-centered. The world revolves around you. That is a quick way to be a burden, a quick way to be a real drag to the people around you. Just focus on yourself and uh, whether you're puffing yourself up or self-deprecating and throwing a pity party for yourself, uh, you will be a burden. (laughs) That's just the way that life works, the way that God has wired us, and uh, it's the opposite of what Paul was doing here. Uh, The second characteristic of being a burden is Seek out other people, not for their own sake, not for their own good, but for your good and what you can get from them. Maybe, like this is from verses 14 to 16, maybe it's their popularity, maybe their social status, maybe their money. Um, But in all of that, you're not really interested in them so much as what you can get out of them. And this is the context that Paul gives that first parent and child analogy. And so imagine how outrageous it would be if... An adult here in this room said, I really want to have someone take care of me, to be a really good friend to me. Uh, So I think I'm going to have a kid or adopt a kid so that I can benefit from them. I I think I I could be a taker, you know, in that parent-child relationship instead of a giver. Uh, No one should do that. No one should think that way. But Paul is saying that those who should be givers are instead acting like takers. So don't be a taker. 
unless you want to be a burden to people. Because people who look to take, 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 they become a drag. They, they become a weight. Um, and people will want to run from you. <laughs> Just like Terry said that he first wanted to run from Paul when he first met him. And the third characteristic that we see of being a burden is uh, just don't care or be overbearing. Again, Paul didn't do either of these, but I'm deducing from what Paul did, here's what we should not do. This is from verses 20 and 21 when Paul says that he's mourning for them over their sin and over the fact that he might have to punish or discipline them. This is that was Paul's appropriate concern, but if you don't care about people or if you don't give them a reason to think that you care about them or if you care about them so much in a way that you just smother them, <laughs> uh, you're going to be a burden. And again, these, it might, it might be obvious, but these are things that are worth saying because this is our sinful nature, our tendency is to make life about us. And these are some ways that we can do it. And so the fourth and final way of, or characteristic of being a burden is deceiving people or taking advantage of them. And this is the accusation that was leveled against Paul in verses 16 through 18, that he tricked him, that he just acted like the Corinthians could trust him. And then he used that trust for his own game by sending Titus and the other brother to uh, carry out his, his master plan when they weren't looking. And keep, it, was a, it was a saving face move by Paul, according to that accusation. And at the core, all of this is selfishness. And selfishness is a universally failed method for happiness. It's a universally failed method to get to blessing, the good life, what is really good. And so enough of the negative. Nobody, I don't believe, wants to be a burden. But this is, if we live self-centered lives, this is what we become. And we're all prone to live self-centered lives because we're all sinners. We're all burdens before we're blessings. We really are. In the gospel, the bad news comes before the good news. Our complete, total, complete need for Jesus because of our sin. And our total incomplete ability to do anything about our sin problem ourselves. The Bible says that there is no one who seeks God. No one who is righteous. And so that's really important to keep in mind as we look at the characteristics of being a blessing to people. So the first one is to live a Christ-centered life. And I'm getting that from the latter half of verse 19, where it says, actually in the sight of God, we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding. See, the, the, the core of being a burden is a self-centered life, but the core of being a blessing is a Christ-centered life. Because Christ is the blessed one. He is the highest and the greatest blessing. There's nothing better than knowing and loving him. And if we really believe that, then we'll grow in knowing and loving him and we'll make his love known to others. So the first, the first characteristic of being a blessing, and I think the foundation of being a blessing, 
is to live a Christ-centered life. The second characteristic is to seek people for their own good, expecting nothing in return, coming and seeking people. You have to pursue others to, to bless others. You have to know them. And this is the life of being a giver, not a taker. And if they love you less, be that as it may, as Paul says. But you're giving yourself away, not for a temporary earthly reward, but for an eternal heavenly reward. A weight of glory far beyond all comparison. You're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. That's what it means to pursue other people for their good, for God's glory and for their good. That's the life of being a blessing. The third characteristic we see in this passage is that to be a blessing, we give them direction, not perfection. This is the, this is the opposite of the uncaring and overbearing one. This is what appropriate concern, appropriate care for someone looks like is we invite them into a life of repentance and faith. You know, we don't smother them with being overbearing. We don't stay aloof and, and you know, act like we don't care about their lives. Uh, we say with Paul, I'm afraid that I'd mourn over your sin if you don't repent of it. I'm afraid that I will mourn over your sin if it's not repented of. But I don't expect you to be perfect I expect you to be repenting and believing. Come join me in that life. You model that for them. You show them what repentance and faith look like in your own life, and then you show appropriate concern for their own repentance and faith. And you know that you can't make that decision for anyone, believe it or not. But you're inviting them to join you. You're giving them a direction, and in that way you're being a blessing to them. And the fourth characteristic of being a blessing that I see in this passage is just honest self-sacrifice. And we see this in verses 16 through 18. Uh, this is how Paul responds to that accusation that was leveled against him, the Anna Kalutha. He's just being honest and he's saying, uh, yeah, I'm willing to sacrifice myself in order for you to be blessed by our relationship, and by my efforts in it. And this type of honest self-sacrifice, it's exactly what Jesus did. And so in Hebrews 12, we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So this honest self-sacrifice leads to a joy. And I want to encourage you to think about what kind of joy? What kind of joy did Jesus look to the joy set before him as he endured the cross? I believe it was a supreme joy. It was a joy higher than anything else. And Hebrews 1.9 is the reason I believe that. It says, God, your God, speaking about Jesus, has set you, well, actually, the you is about Jesus here. So it says, God, your God, has set you, Jesus, above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So it's a joy that's above what anyone else knows. It's the highest joy possible. But it only comes through sacrifice, self-sacrifice. 
and it only comes from God. So I said earlier, selfishness is a universally, universal, universally, selfishness is a universally failed method for happiness. But here's the good news. Sacrifice is the Christ-proven method for happiness, for blessing. If you want to live the good life as God defines it, and as Christ has proven it, the good life comes through sacrifice. Sacrifice for God's glory and for other people's good. That's the life that Christ came to bring. And even if you've received Christ, if you're a Christian here today, just because you have the blessed one doesn't mean that you're always a blessing. (laughs) It should mean that you're more of a blessing than you otherwise would have been before Christ. But you can be a Christian and still be a burden to people around you. You just don't have to be a self-centered, self-absorbed person. But just like with Paul, Paul Kamiges, it'll take work. It's a process that you have to grow in your, in your walk with God, in your walk with others. It'll take great humility on your part, great courage, great faith in the gospel, practically impacting your, your person, your character, your relationships. But it's possible. And if you're not a Christian here today, you can still be a blessing to other people. But why? If it's not for Christ, it just comes back to you. What motivates to self-sacrifice? To self-sacrifice for your family, for your spouse, for your workplace? If it's not for Christ, I just, I don't know the answer. I mean, it's probably a different answer for every unbeliever in this room, but what is the reason for your sacrifice? Who is getting the glory? Who's getting the credit, the attention? And again, as you don't have to be perfect to sign up under the way of Jesus, to learn as his apprentice. You, you, you'll never be perfect, even as his follower. But that is the direction that I encourage you to commit your life towards. So let's look at some applications. Uh, like Paul, resolve to be a blessing. Resolve to not be a burden. The start of this is you have to choose in your mind how you want to live. And don't, don't over-apply this and think, oh, I choose to be a blessing, therefore I can't ask help of anyone for anything because then I'd be burdening them. No, that's, that's over-applying and really misapplying this. But it's, it's a matter of what direction are you going to approach life with? Are you going to look to build others up or take from others in order to build up yourself? Another application is just simply deepen your walk with Christ. I mean, if you want to be a blessing, hang out with the blessed one, the blessed one. And, and when I say deepen your walk with Christ, that might be a little ambiguous, so we'll get more down into the details. All I mean is just take the next step. For you, if it's you have two, two quiet times a week, then shoot for three this next week. Or if you've been reading through the Bible for six months or six years and you've never memorized part of the Bible, 
try memorizing some of the Bible. Uh, if you if you kind of missed small group and meeting with other believers weekly, call someone, text someone, get lunch or breakfast with them, or just say, hey, can we call on our way home from work and catch up and confess sin and pray for each other? Maybe it's journaling, maybe it's something else, uh, but just invest in your walk with Christ and that will spill out into your relationships. That's that, that spill out will result in blessing other people. And I know there's a lot of potential objections, like I don't know really how to memorize verses. I don't know how to deepen my walk with Christ. Or there's also objections like I've messed up. I've lived self-centered. So how can I just pivot and uh, be a blessing? It's just hard. You don't understand my own burdens, Ben. And so it's just hard for me to focus on other people when I have such burdens I'm carrying myself. And uh, I, I don't understand. I don't have to. I, mean, I wish I could, but I'm not Jesus. But I do know the way that this letter started kind of levels all of our objections. I want to read 1 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, listen to this, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are, listen to this, in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So I might not understand, but God does. And he says, you're not disqualified. Your burden might be too great for you, but it's not too great for him. He can and will use you if you make yourself available. Like Paul Comiges, even the Apostle Paul, he was a huge burden to the church. The Apostle Paul. But like both of those men, you can change. You can increasingly become a person who blesses others. And that change, it won't happen on your own willpower, even though your choices matter. It's not just you and your willpower. You need to rely on Jesus. He's the blessed one. And we see this throughout Scripture. For example, Genesis 12. Abraham was called by God, and God said, Abraham, actually Abram at that time, hadn't got the name change yet. God said, Abram, I will bless you, and as a result, you will be a blessing, and through you, all nations will be blessed. The ultimate fulfillment of that promise is in Jesus, and we see it in Galatians 3 explicitly. In Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The Greek word for Gentiles is the same word for nations. So, in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations. How's it coming to the nations? It's through God's people. Jesus said, before he ascended, go and make disciples of all nations. We are blessed to be a blessing. Not to hoard the blessing or just enjoy the blessing ourselves. I mean, by all means, enjoy it. I encourage your enjoyment of it because if you will enjoy it thoroughly, you will share it. 